Welcome to Feel Better, Live More Bite Size, your weekly dose of positivity and optimism to get you ready for the weekend. Today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I have come across. It contains vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes, and I myself take it regularly. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more to find out more and to access a very special offer for listeners of my podcast. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. Today's clip is from episode 54 of the podcast with Professor Paul Dolan. Paul is a behavioral scientist and he's author of the books Happy Ever After and Happiness by Design. Paul believes that happiness is subjective. And if we free ourselves from the myth of the perfect life, we can each create a life that's worth living. What is happiness? So happiness, well, I mean, we've had two and a half thousand years of discussion around what happiness is. I I see it as located in experiences, in the things that we do and how we feel about the things we do, the things we pay attention to and the, the people that we're with. and the, So it's in our daily experiences. Um, and within those experiences, as I argue in Happiness by Design, I think we've got two main sets of experiences, ones that I gather up under the term pleasure and the others under purpose. Pleasure are all the usual hedonic adjectives of emotion, um, feelings of joy and excitement and contentment, and the negative adjectives too associated with pain, anxiety, worry and stress. But alongside those, I think, sit another category of experiences that are to do with how worthwhile, meaningful, fulfilling or pointless um, experiences feel. So I argue that happiness is um, the combination of both pleasure and purpose. And therefore, happy lives are ones that contain the right balance that works for that individual of things they find fun on the one hand and fulfilling on the other. Yeah, I really like that. It's a nice way to think about happiness. In your first book, you you talk about how we can design our lives so we don't need to think about happiness. And I wonder for people who are not familiar with your work, if you could summarize yeah. the sort of rationale behind that. The behavioral sciences, economics, psychology, principally, um, additionally now anthropology and sociology and neuroscience too, are telling us a very basic message that most of what we do comes about rather than being thought about we make thousands of decisions every day most of those are made unconsciously automatically fast and without thinking so the extent to which we really deliberatively and consciously think about what we do is very limited and the brain wants to create habit loops it wants to create associations in the world that make life easier for itself it's why sometimes when you want to whether you have to check whether you've turn the oven off, lock the house, because these are automated processes that when you think about whether you've done them, you don't actually know until you check. So that's what the evidence tells us. Then you've got a lot of self-help books, which are essentially around change your mind about things, you know, be positive, do these things, which, you know, it's kind of hard work. You know, you need to do it, but you don't know how to implement it. So drawing on the lessons that, you know, basically what we do simply comes about rather than being thought about, how can you design your environment? How can you make your life easier to make those habits easier, to make it easier for you to do the things that make you feel good, to actually be positive by the things that you do and not just by the statements you make. Is that, for example, Paul, we're sitting here you know, in your office and I'm resting my podcast recorder actually on your weights bench. In terms of a habit, 
of working out regularly by yeah. putting a weights bench and two dumbbells in your office, do you think it makes it much more likely that you're going to get a workout in? It does. And also planning it into my diary that, you know, you just make sure that you have time to do it. When, when, when people often say that they don't have time to do things, what they really mean is they don't prioritize it. I mean, often, you know, often we don't have time and people that are working really hard and long hours and, you know, on low pay, they, they, they don't have time. But, but many of us can find the time and make the time. It's just that we don't make it easy for ourselves. The really simple lesson is that if you want to do something, make it easy. It's like what we call in the, in the academic literature, implementation intentions. So you have an intention to change your behavior. We all have all sorts of intentions to do all sorts of things. I'm going to work out more. I'm going to read more books. But unless you have a plan, a detailed plan about how you're going to implement that intention, it doesn't happen. So, you know, reading more books or working out or whatever it is doesn't just happen. There's a series of discrete behaviors that lead you to that final consequence. And it's all about making that easy so that it then becomes encoded in habit and then you just do it without thinking about it. And my, my you know, gym time now is done almost automatically without too much effort and thought. So I guess that really, if we, we extend it out, why are you working out more? Sure, it could be for your physical health, but overall, I'm guessing, working out more improves your levels of happiness. So you, you, you've got something going on in your yeah, life. You've made it, it easy and to do something that makes see, you happy. See, I don't think people... See, so when some of, the, some of the insights are really obvious, but overlooked, right? So listen to more music, go outdoors, spend time with friends. People say to me, well, that's obvious. I know that. I'm like, okay, but it's so obvious. Why aren't you doing it then? Yeah. And you're not doing it because you're not making it easy for yourself. And you, you don't have this implementation intention. You don't have a plan that makes those things more likely to get done so so what can people people who are listening to this who think yeah i get it i've heard that before listening to music going out in nature yeah. um you know doing some form of physical activity whatever these things are going to improve my mental health and improve the way that i feel yeah i know that so what's that gap what sits in between yeah. knowledge and action yeah it is that implementable plan so i, I this this bench is a is very salient. It's a prime in my office. It makes it more likely that I'm going to do it because it's there. Um, surround yourself with people that engage in the behavior that you want to do. We're very influenced by those around us, social norms, peer effects. That's a big one, um, isn't it? That's a really big one. It's a massive effect. I mean, if you don't want to drink so much alcohol, for example, and all your friends go out and get drunk every night, it's really hard not to, right? Yeah. It's, then so you need to sort of redesign some of your networks and peer groups, which can be hard. I appreciate that can be hard. But if you do that, it's going to just make it much more likely. If you want to go to the gym, find a gym buddy to go with. Have a fixed time, day, place, time, whatever, that you go with. It just becomes then routine. Basically, the brain's lazy and it doesn't want to work very hard. And so you need to make it easy for itself to create good habits and break bad ones. I guess in some ways you're saying let's try and take our willpower out of the equation because... Design really? power is the is the key thing. Willpower willpower is weak. Yeah. You know, most of us, we're, most of us are weak. You know, we'll give in to temptations that are in front of us. Make the temptation in front of you something that's good for you that you want to do more of. It's going to make it more likely. Yeah, I like it. I really like it. Actually, it's it's quite consistent with the way I try and make changes myself with my patients. You talk a lot about these various social narratives, yeah. these these stories that we tell ourselves about happiness. And I wonder if you could just expand a little bit on that. Let me um, start with that by finishing with a story from Happiness by Design, which was actually one of the most 
like resonant stories in the book. Everyone that picked up on the quote on the paperback is the book that will make you quit your job. It's the only time I ever talk about jobs, once in the book really, is, is a friend who worked at Media Land. She and I went for dinner uh, and she spent literally, I mean, a whole two hours or however long we were dinner, complaining about every single aspect of her job, her boss, her colleagues, her commute. Everything was miserable. And then we got up and, and we were leaving dinner and she said, without any irony, I love working at Media Land. And I was like, I looked at her incredulous, but that actually wasn't an ironic thing. There's basically two ways of thinking about happiness, in experiences and in evaluations. In her experience of her job, it was categorically miserable. In her evaluation, it was a good job. It was somewhere she'd always wanted to work. Her parents were proud. Her friends were jealous. How could she not be happy there when she thought about whether it should make her happy? And so much of what we do and, and, and how we live our lives are according to the things that we think should make us happy based upon our parents' expectations, our own expectations, evolution, historical accident, social construction, without paying enough attention directly to actually whether it makes us feel good day to day. When I heard you speak last night, you went through a number of narratives that you expand upon in your book. Yeah. One of them was um, to do with wealth, being successful and being clever. Yeah. What is that social narrative and where does that come from? So these are the category of reaching narratives. These are the first three chapters in the book and they, they're, they're narratives around aspiration. They're narratives around addiction. Right? You can never have enough. Right? Once you start consuming money and, 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 and success and education, you can't be too rich, successful or too clever. You can you just keep going and keep going and keep going past the point, actually, at which the evidence tells us you should stop. Poverty, um, any lack of status and ignorance are, are not good for happiness, but you don't need very much of these things of wealth, success and education in order to be happy. And so the sort of mantra for the first part of the book summarizes is really just enough rather than more please. So reach a point at which you which you don't need any more of wealth, success and education. And it's really difficult, right? Because the whole of our construction is to just keep going and keep going and keep going. People will ask people that are even very successful, what are you doing next? Yeah. <laughs> right? It's kind of a question. What are you What's gonna do? next? What's next? It's like well, why why not now? I mean, why why is that why does it have to be a next? You know, what are you gonna do next? 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 Keep going, keep going, keep going. So hold on, just calm down for a minute. The evidence is very clear, I think, on this, that you know, there is a point at which you'll, you'll keep going too far. I remember watching this uh, 2011 film called Happy. Mm. They, they speak to, I think, a professor of happiness in the US, and I think he talks about this whole idea that basically once, once you've got enough money to put a roof over your head, and feed your family. Yeah. Actually, more money is not yeah. correlated with more yeah. happiness. And that's really what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah. And also, it's really important with the income thing to talk about social comparisons because um, you are certainly made less happy when other people get richer, <laughs> right? Because we compare ourselves to, to other people nearly always upwards, never downwards, thankfully, more than, you know, only more than other people, but upwardsly envying that they have more. Um, the um, likelihood of filing for bankruptcy increases in neighborhoods where lottery winners live really yeah yeah causal causal we we can we can we can see that very clearly from the evidence so you you have someone around you who wins a lot of money you've got to try and keep up with them you? you've got to buy a faster car whatever just so and you, you feel debt. good in yourself well yeah because that's you know we do we we don't really know if i ask you whether you're you're well paid or not you need some reference in which to base that on don't you 
Um, and nearly always the reference is, is, is people like us and maybe people that are just a little bit more, who have just a little bit more than us rather than less. So, so I guess on that, if we sort of extend that out, then happiness in many ways is subjective. In, 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 in every way. It, only, it's only subjective. I, it's really interesting when people talk about because one of the, you know, I've heard every possible criticism I think of happiness, and one thing to say, well, it's just subjective. I'm like, well, yeah, but that's the point, isn't it? You know, many of us as parents, we we put our own the narratives that we've been told, we start putting them on onto our kids that actually, if you do this, you'll get a better job. If you do this, you're going to earn more money, and maybe we as parents can play a role at starting to change that narrative. Yeah, and we can, and also to get them to think about how they might use their time and money differently. Empathy is is nearly always seen as a good thing. If you can put yourself in the shoes of somebody else, then you care about them. But for you to put yourself in someone else's shoes, it helps if they have the same size feet. And that leads us to then care more about people that are essentially more like us and then uh, use our uh, pro-social time and energies in ways that are quite parochial. Yeah. Instead, we need compassion, not empathy. Compassion is a more detached account of caring. And where we really then think about where we're going to do the most good with our time and money and not just what people are like, what, what people like us are we going to do the most good for? Yeah, that's really profound, actually. More focus on kindness and compassion. Kindness and compassion. Than, than kindness empathy. and compassion. And kindness and compassion, as you know only too well, are really highly associated with happiness. Yeah. And Gratitude good health. and good health. And, good, and health. good health and good health. Longer, healthier, happier lives. That's, that's exactly what you get from kindness, compassion, gratitude hope you enjoyed that bite-sized clip please do spread the love by sharing this episode with your friends and family and if you want more why not go back and listen to the full conversation with my guest and if you enjoyed this episode i think you will really enjoy my new bite-sized friday email it's called the friday five and each week i share things that i do not share on social media it contains five short doses of positivity, articles or books that I'm reading, quotes that I'm thinking about, exciting research I've come across, and so much more. I really think you're going to love it. The goal is for it to be a small yet powerful dose of feel good to get you ready for the weekend. You can sign up for it at drchastity.com forward slash Friday 5. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Make sure you have pressed subscribe and I'll be back next week with my long form conversation on Wednesday and the latest episode of Bite Science next Friday. Mm-hmm.